All right. Now back in for a staggering 51st time as our resident director of instruction, Tom Patrick. Tom is now settled into his new summer location at Farmington Country Club up in Charlottesville, Virginia. So if you're in or anywhere near Virginia, West Virginia, or the Washington, D.C. area, and you want to get lessons from a top instructor who will help you win whatever level you are competing at, even if you're like me and all you're competing for is for your buddies to buy your beer or dinner following the round, Tom Patry is your guy. If you can't go see Tom in person, you can download the V1 video app and send him videos of your golf swing, and he can help you get dialed in through the app. Please check out his website, TomPatry.com, and subscribe to his newsletter while you're on there. You can also subscribe to his YouTube channel and watch over 150 free playing lessons while you're on there. Be sure to follow him on Twitter and Instagram at TomPatryGolf, and it's always an honor to have TP as part of the show. Good evening, Tom. How are you, my friend? It's always good to have it. We're going to kick off the next 50 episodes with a little variation of it. There you go, my friend. How are you? I'm, I'm doing great, Chris. I'm really doing good. How are you doing, pal? Everything good? Ah, everything's great. How can I not be? I get to talk to you tonight. Everything else pales in comparison to spending time with you, my friend. <laughs> it's going to be like that. Okay, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> hey, how are things going up in uh, in Charlottesville? What's, uh, what's been the latest over the last couple of weeks at Farmington Country Club? Yeah, we're doing great because it's really a great reception, really great reception by the membership. Uh, it's been terrific. Um, I, I've you know gotten to play the golf course a couple of times now. I really like it a lot. Great facility. Um, we had a little bit of a, a down over more of the week. I mean, some bad weather. But uh, with the Five Bay Indoor Teaching Building, TP lost zero lessons because of that teaching building. It's spectacular. Um, and I've got to, I've got to explore a little bit. I've been over to the UVA campus a couple of times. It's, it's, fantastic. it's just it's gorgeous. It really is pretty. Uh, and, and the town is great. It's alive. Even though, even though school is really out, there's still a lot of students, graduate students around town. And, it, you know, college towns have such a great vibe anyway. So it's fun. I've been having, I've been having a good time. I'm, I'm prepping a little bit right now, trying to get some extra reps in. I've got the U.S. Senior Open Qualifier on June 7th. At the uh, at the homestead, two hours from here, and I'm excited about that. 86 players for two spots. We're going to go over there wow. and roll. Wow! So we'll good go. luck to you, my friend. That's that's yeah, tough odds, but, but if anyone can overcome them, it's Tom Patrick. No, no, no. Going to go over the day before, play a practice around, see the place I played there about 20 years ago, Chris, and I remember it being a really good golf course, the Cascades course, being a really good par 70. So. Uh, I don't think the scores will be really low there. I think they'll be, you know, a couple under. We'll probably get in. So, uh, you know, why shouldn't it be me, right? Why not? That's right. Why not you? Right. Exactly. Tom, we haven't spoken yeah. since uh, Phil's big win at the PGA Championship. Got to get your thoughts. What do you think, what uh, what you saw from Phil and what you saw of the golf course? Well, I mean, the golf course obviously obviously won the tournament. You know, I mean, the golf course was the winner. Um Phil did a, you know, I'm not a big Phil fan, as you know, Chris, but I mean, my hat's off to Phil Mickelson. That was a hell of a performance uh, in in very, very difficult conditions. You know, 50 years old, what a tremendous accomplishment. The one thing I'll say, and listen, I'm not taking anything away from the accomplishments. It's it's, it's good for golf. It's good for senior golf. It's good for regular golf. It's, it's good for golf, period. Um, but if we, if we go back not too long ago, Imagine, and he was 50 when Phil was 50, right, pulling this off. Imagine 
if Watson had pulled off that last oh, par no. on 18 at Turnberry. And, and I still, I still can see that second shot coming. And I, and I played golf there. He had a perfect golf shot and how that ball released the way it did. I can still see that happening. Now remember he was, he would have been 60 at the time. If he had, my, my only comment is this. If, if and I'll, I want to get your take on this, Chris. If Watson had pulled off that British at 60, would we be talking much about Phil at 50? Yeah, I don't know. Probably not. And I, and I'm with you. I remember that golf tournament. I was rooting so hard for Watson to pull it off. And I remember that shot too. I remember it releasing over the green. I thought, you got to be kidding me. Really? We're going to have to go to a playoff. And does he have it, you know, to win in a playoff? And, you know, and I feel bad for Stuart Sink because I think everyone hates Stuart Sink for having won that golf tournament. Um, but yeah. You can't think anywhere from Sink. I mean, he obviously won the golf tournament. You know, it's a playoff and you win. But when he hit that second shot in there, I didn't think there was any way. I, I thought he was he had, a, he had a spectacular golf shot in there. You know, we flagged it. And, you know, golf guys weren't with him, and it wasn't his time. Yeah, that's a that's one of those that I still lament that that, that, that win didn't happen. It's not unheard of, Tom, that somebody north of 50 – can compete in a major championship or what is the the fifth major, right? It's the players. So I know we all like to have recency and think, you know, hey, Phil's the only one to ever do this or uh, or, or whatnot. But this, we haven't gotten the the win. So Phil, obviously, he, he is the oldest major champion. Got it. But other guys have been there to give it to give it a run. So this isn't unheard of, right? Yeah, I mean, J- Jay Haas, who's a, who's a wonderful guy, just one of the really great people in professional golf all time. Uh, I had a conversation, you know, not too long ago, and I, I asked him how come he had such a great senior career after, a, you know, it's kind of a journeyman regular career. And he says, Tom, you know, the golf ball doesn't know how old you are, you know. And I think that, I think that speaks volumes. I mean, the golf ball does not know how old you are. So if you are keep yourself in reasonable condition, and, you know, so many of these guys are in better shape now coming off the regular tour, um, and, and they're still competitive, and they still want to play, and they they can still they can still hit it out there pretty good. You get the right conditions, especially firm and fast conditions, like it was a Kiwa, and like you have it a British. You know, it's. I think you'll see it happen again. I think now, you know, it's kind of like the kind of like when Roger Bannister broke the four minute mile. You know, we were told that the human male could not run a sub four minute mile, and I don't know if you know this, because when Bannister broke that record. Uh, the four minute mile, not too, not too long, not the few weeks after that, two other guys broke, broke the, broke the four minute mark again. So, you know, the mind is an interesting thing, boy. When the mind gets the green light and understands, hey, this is possible, it does incredible things. So I don't think we're, I don't think this is over. I don't think this is over at all. Tom, one of the things that now people are saying with respect to Phil and his career that that win puts him in the top 10 all time. Is he in that conversation now? Well, I mean, you know, God, that's a hard one, isn't it, Chris? I mean, if you start naming names of all time in top ten, I mean, if we put the if we put the fifty candidates down for the top ten, we could easily come up with fifty names that have had incredible careers. And, you know, and you go back to Hagen, and you go back to you know Bobby Jones, and you got to put Steve in that conversation, and Byron Nelson in that conversation, you know, and uh, but Phil has, you know, Phil has a 
boatload of wins. 45, I believe. Is that right, Chris? That's right. I'm just going to, I'm going from memory. 45 and 6, right? Um, that's right. I, I mean, that's a hell. Listen, if, if, if Tiger Woods didn't exist, Phil Mickelson would be the greatest player of this generation. I mean, hands down, right? You take Tiger out of the mix and, and, and Phil is, Phil, Phil is, is the man, you know, and he just came along at the wrong time with Tiger there, but and again, I'm not a big Phil fan, but you can't, you cannot shake your head at Phil's career. It, it's an incredible, incredible body of work. I mean, I'm missing the U.S. Open, and I'm sure he has nightmares about Wingfoot Phil um, and the Jeff, Jeff Ogilvy win. But you, you, you got to have an awful lot of respect for his, his playing career. Tom, switching gears a little bit and talking about bodies of work, and I know you've got. Very little going well for you in sports right now with your Yankees circling the drain. But um, you got a wonderful message from one of uh, your junior players that you worked with uh, when, in, over the winter down at Crown Colony. Uh, talk about your latest student victory. Yeah, um, I met a young man. I, Chris, I'm really lucky right now because, one, it's a long baseball season, and I'm not really worried about that right now at all. I, I know you love taking your shots, and there's such it's such trivial and juvenile cheap shots. I'll just overlook that right now. Um, that second market team you pull for. But anyway, um, I'm pretty blessed right now. I've got a couple of really good players right now. Um, and the kid you're speaking about, Maverick Conaway, who's from the uh, Indianapolis area, um, just the uh, the Golf League Tour Championship, Junior Tour Championship. Um, in, in Kentucky, he was played, and uh, I think he had 73, 73, 72 in pretty tough conditions, uh, and shot 34 on his back nine coming in to win. Um, he, he's come down, like you said, a couple times over the winter. He's a V1 student. He's a regular V1 subscriber, so we're geographically unacceptable with each other. We, we, we change a lot of film. The kid has worked very, very hard. Uh, he's long. He's got a lot of length. He's a tall, lanky kid. He's got a beautiful putting stroke, and he's got an incredible work ethic. So you put, and the fact that he's very bright as well, he's got great grades in school. He's a bright kid. He works hard. Um, you know, he does everything he asks him to do. He's kind of a, he's kind of a model student, actually. I mean, he's a good athlete. He's a good basketball player. He's a good athlete. And he's got a work ethic. So, I mean, he's going to be successful. And he's not going to be successful just because of me. He's going to be successful because he's got great parents. Wonderful parents. He's a good player himself, and he's a good hard worker. So he's got a lot of balls that are, you know, lining up in his court pretty nicely. Um, I think, you know, it's still too soon to know this, but I think he's a pretty legitimate D1 possibility at a decent program. So I'm really excited for him. I'm really excited for the win. He won another tournament about two weeks ago as well. Um, so he's on a little bit of a roll right now. Tom, speaking of putting, I, I got to get some tips from you tonight. Because, yes, uh, got, as you know, I've got, got my annual uh, buddies trip coming up I next week. I've got to stop you right there. A couple of your playing partners, friends you have called me and asked me if I would just uh, not, not you know, not do this right now for you because, they you know, they feel like it's not really fair that you're trying to take an undue advantage of of my knowledge <laughs> against them. And, okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. We'll, we'll, we'll go ahead. Hey, hey, everyone's got access to, to coaches. I just happen to have one on the other end of the line. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, all fair and love and golf, as they say. So help me out putting-wise, TP, because um, 
one of the things that I'm working on is my stroke. And, you know, Jackie Burke used to say 25% back, 75% through. Is that the, is that the proper stroke length? What's, uh, what's your philosophy on stroke? You know, Chris, I, far be it from me to, to object or to, um, go the other way on Jackie Burke, who's one of the great golf minds of all time. I think that's changed a lot as green speeds have changed a lot. If you look at PGA Tour strokes today, um, you see a lot of longer backstrokes and kind of cut off follow throughs. I mean, if you look at Brent Snedeker is probably the best example that comes to mind, but if you look at Justin Thomas, you look at Ricky Fowler, who's a wonderful putter. Um, there's not much of a follow through. It's more, it's more of a quasi pop stroke. Um, I call it the hammer and nail because you don't take the hammer and put it through the sheetrock. You kind of hit it to the head of the nail and the hammer stops and all the energy goes into the nail. Well, I want all the energy going into the back of the ball and I, I want it to be fairly short and crisp. So I'm, I've gone from being a symmetrical stroke putter, um, teaching, you know, you know, back and through is equal both in terms of length and pace. And I taught that way for a long time. I almost sound like a hypocrite at age 62, but I'm kind of in the cynical camp right now. I like that little hammer nail stroke. I like to put this, put some energy in the back of the ball and pop it a little bit. And of course, you have to calibrate that for speed purposes. And I, I wouldn't suggest, even though you have an incredible set of hands and you're an incredible athlete with, with your golf game with your buddies so close, I wouldn't, I wouldn't suggest making major changes right now. But it's something you might want to mess around with in the future a little bit. The other thing I've noticed recently, Tom. Is uh, particularly with uh, someone like DJ, when he gets in his setup over the ball, and, he, and again sticking with putting, he takes a left hand and he and he reaches across to his right bicep area, right arm above the elbow, yeah, and I think he's checking to make sure it's connected to his right rib cage. Is that is that something we do in our putting stroke as well? Do we want to stay connected with our elbows and our arms to our side? Or is that something that he's doing for a uh, different reason, perhaps? No, I, I think you're right on, Chris. I think you're absolutely right on. I'm a big believer in staying connected. And I, but I caution everybody when they look at somebody like DJ, because you can't really get inside of him and feel what he's feeling. And I certainly do like the elbows closer and further away. But I just caution everybody that we want to take two aspirin, not the whole bottle. That, you know, we want to get connected, but we don't, we're not trying to jam our elbow against our side or put a lot of pressure against our rib cage. We're kind of more or less gently resting our arms against the sides of our body and staying, what I call, lightly connected. Um, but, yeah, I, I, like that as a, I like that as a thought. I do. And what about those three- to five-foot knee knockers, Tom? When, when we're standing over them, we're trying to, for most of my buddies and I, weekend warriors, where if we've got those three- to five-footers, more times than not, it's not for birdie. It's to save par or to make a bogey, and, and we don't. We certainly don't want to walk off a green making worse than bogey, because then we start to feel bad about ourselves, and our frame of mind goes, you know, in the wrong direction as we head over to the next tee. So, what are some things that we can do on those three to five footers to make more of them? Well, I, I think you know. First of all, let's keep in mind every shot we hit on the golf course has one value. One. You know, the 250 yard drive and the five footer are, are worth the same amount. You know, so they're all equal. And I think I call those three to five footers, those, you know, any putts inside 10 feet, I call those expectation putts because I think one of the things that really puts us behind the eight ball 
is we think when we get that close to the, to the hole that we should make a mole and, and our expectation level is through the roof, and we can't often fulfill that expectation because the truth is even the tour doesn't make every one of those cuts, although they make a much higher percentage than the average golfer does. But I think the one of the things that we, we do wrong is that we have worry going in and we don't get committed to a positive thought and a positive mindset when hitting those putts. Chris, you know, I, I think we've talked about this before. Every morning at work when I get, whether it's a Crown Colony when I'm down during the winter in Fort Myers and, and living in Naples or here at Farmington, every morning after I get set up, I leave enough time to putt for 30 minutes. And part of that 30-minute period um, is is putts five feet in. It. And, I, I, you know, I, I'll putt two-footers and three-footers you know, repeatedly because I don't want it to be surprised or have to think about it like it's something new when I get to the third hole tomorrow and I've got a, you know, I've got a three and a half foot of downhill left to right. You know, I want to have seen that happen a thousand times already this week. You know, and people go to the putting green and they, you know, they put 20 footers and 30 footers. When was the last time, and I'm being serious with you, when was the last time you went to a green and for 30 minutes putted three, a three footer? Just repeatedly hit it three footers for thirty straight minutes. Oh, never, never. Then see now, never, Chris. Never. I don't know if you know this. Not never is a long time ago. That's a long time. Never. <laughs> um, so I think that we have we have a lack of preparation for the things that possibly trouble us or or scare us or frighten us the most. So you've got to go to a green and you've got to stick a tee in the ground three feet away. You know, and on, I'm just making this up, but on Monday, put three-footers that are straight in the hole. And on Tuesday, three-footers that go right to left. And on Wednesday, three-footers that go left to right. And then on on Thursday, three-footers that go straight downhill. And, and and I do that, you know, kind of around the horn in a, on a rotating basis throughout the week every day, every day. And, and I've always been a pretty good putter, and, 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 and I'm not really – I wouldn't call myself a natural putter. I, I'd call myself a developed putter. You know, I mean, natural putters like Crenshaw, uh, an example of a developed putter during his PGA Tour career was Tom Kite, who just worked his rear end off on on his putting stroke. So I, I think that some putters are born and the other, other putters are made. I think it's possible to make yourself a good putter. And it takes a tremendous amount of work, and you've got to work on the things that trouble you the most, the distances that really bother you. And that, in your case, if it's it was five feet in, and five feet in requires a lot of attention. TP, just a couple more before I let you go. One of the other things that I wanted to get some help on is we're going to be out there playing at 8 a.m., so we'll be the dew sweepers for the three days that we're there. And conditions change, right? When you've got dew on the ground, the speed of the green is going to be different at 8 a.m. than it's going to be when we get to the back nine, because evaporation will have happened and things of that nature. So you're going to have a variation uh, of that. And then when we're out playing on the course, as we are trying to get onto the green and the dew is in the rough, and that's going to have an impact on how far the ball flies and things of that nature. Talk to us about how do we make the adjustment for conditions when the ball is wet and, the, and, and water gets between the club face and the ball. And then once we get on the green, how much that speed variation will happen based on the amount of dew at the beginning versus the end of the round? Well, the first thing I always tell guys when they go away and the guys golf trip together is if you have an 8 o'clock tee time, you should also make an 11 o'clock tee time 
and you can always cancel the second one because there's this thing called drinking the night before, and sometimes at 8 o'clock tea time, we don't answer the bell. We don't answer, we don't answer the bell. Now, I'm, I'm sure your guys don't do anything like that. You would never think of that, but but you might want to make that second time. Anyway, so do is a real thing. Do is a real thing in the morning. Do is a real thing in both in the rough and on the fairway. And anytime you get a substance between your golf ball and the face of the club, um, we've heard the term, and for our listeners, the term flyer. And a flyer is anytime you get a substance, either either a liquid or just some light blades of grass between the ball and the club, the ball comes off there with very little spin and it tends to go erratic distances. So that's a real possibility. So one of the things you need to do, first of all, Chris, is after you've made your practice swing, if you make a practice swing at any shot you could do in the ground, you need to wipe the face clean and make sure you've got no residue on the face from the practice swing, which guys don't think about doing. Because um, you want to minimize the possibility of the fire live or the fire occurrence. Okay. Um, if you feel like the ball is pretty wet laying on the ground because you examine it, you might want to play that and understand that that's a possibility. So if you have a, you know, if you have a pin that's middle back and you take the yardage, you you want to take the yardage for, you know, maybe 15 or 12 to 15 yards short of a pin. Because if you if it releases and takes off on you, you want a little cushion there. And if it comes up short, at least you're underneath the hole and shipping or putting uphill. Um, you want to take that flyer, long flyer over the green out of play. Um, in the in the rough, if it's sitting down, you're not going to have a flyer. But when that grass is really wet and heavy, loft is your friend. So you want to loft up and and just advance the golf ball and get it out there. You take a club or two of the loft and really wet, heavy, long rough, and and you're not going to get the club through the, through the grass and you're going to hit the ball five feet in front of you and you're going to be unhappy and. Why didn't Patrick warn me about that? It's his fault, not my fault, because it would never be your fault. I understand. As a Red Sox fan, it would never be your fault. Um, <laughs> You're so exactly right. Exactly. So those are a couple of things you have to look out for there. Um, I am really excited for you. I'm really, I'm really looking forward to hearing your report after you come back from there, because we've we on this show, you especially, have talked up the Macklemore so much, and I've, I've seen all the pictures and heard all the reviews, and it's been so wonderful. And our good buddy Bill Berg, who you have on later tonight, who's coming to do our work at Crown County for us, I'm so excited. He's been a, a longtime friend since college golf and one of the fine human beings on the planet. Uh, he and Reese, from what I understand, did a hell of a job up there. So I'm really, I'm really anxious to hear your report about the place. Tom, before I let you go, remind our listeners how they can stay up to date and get more of your wonderful lessons for themselves on your YouTube channel and uh, follow you on social media as well. Yeah, because that YouTube channel is starting to get some action. You have about 100, almost 150 videos up now, uh, absolutely free. For anybody who wants to jump in and get some information, please subscribe to the channel. Tell your friends about it. We want to get more subscribers on that channel. But, you know, all the regular places, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram especially. I did a couple of live posts this week on Instagram uh, from my teaching team. Um, I enjoy doing that. And uh, the thing I really enjoy is coming on here with you and chatting with you. You're the best. you got a great lineup tonight. Please say hi to Chip Beck. Please say hi to Bill Bergen for me. They're both dear friends, and uh, as you are. And uh, I love being on here with you. I appreciate you, Tom. Always uh, enjoyable getting to spend time with you tonight for a 51st time. 
here on the show. You're fantastic, my friend. Stay safe. All the best to you and the family. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> Thanks, have a great night. Thanks, Tom. You too. Folks, that's the great Tom Patrick. Tom Patrick Golf is where you can find him on social media. And uh, the YouTube channel is fantastic. 150 videos on there for all of us for every aspect of your game, and it's available to all of us for free. So I highly encourage you to go check it out and subscribe to the channel while you're on there. Looking forward to catching up with TP again in a couple of weeks.